is to offer ya. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> is share information and stories to help you move past the fears and mindsets. Somebody. Oh, 
creature with a spiritual pride. You may be a councilman taking bribes on the side. Working in a barber shop may know how to cut air. Or maybe somebody's mistress, or maybe somebody's a was Etta James and this is uh, Labor and Love this is the show where we tell you how it is if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for somebody else worked for a dollar they didn't get if you don't have a seat at the negotiating table you're probably on the menu and never But never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. Good morning, everybody. And of course, we heard Etta James. As befits our International Women's Day show. And uh, this is the only male voice you're going to hear today besides mine. In New Zealand I read a magazine Something nasty crossed my eye The earth that fed me in California Was turning cracked and dry 
New Zealand ferns are always green, it rains more there than it should. I looked to the cloud that was raining on me and said, go where you can do some good. Clouds stop crying and wasting time and fly across the sky. Spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. I don't want to see her die. Met a guy from San Francisco in a railway ticket line. He said the Grateful Dead was alive and well, but the weather wasn't so fine. Nobody had a garden, nothing lived but weeds. The earth looked like some kind of feverish person who'd caught a strange disease. He said the reservoirs are empty, cattle dying too. Every tongue is reaching out to sip the morning dew. And they say the fields and valleys are turning green to brown. Let the farmers walk a dry and dusty mile in every farm in town. Clouds stop crying and wasting time and fly across the sky. And spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. I don't want to see her die. I stared up to the diamond stars one cashmere night. Black velvet sky and a raging river was no other sound or sight. The Big Dipper hung up above the river and I felt that it was a shame. All this water here in California dry, I said to the Dipper by name. Reach down and kiss that raging river and fly across the sky. Spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. I don't want to see her die. People and the animals like to gather where water flows. A beer, some tea, or a water hole, it's there where something grows. And remember the music water makes, the rainy pool and the circle dance. The thunder of the ocean and the waterfall, the laughing creek that feeds the plants. Now the fields are green again, beauty has returned. Tragedies continue to show what we still got to learn. Can't waste away the ocean, water, air, or land. If we upset this sacred ground, we won't have any place to stand. So reach down and kiss the raging river and fly across the sky. And spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. I don't want to see her spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. I don't want to see her die. Brother Charlie Morgan there, reminding us uh, how fragile all our human affairs are. And I, like I said, this is the 
only male voice entertainer you'll hear today on this show because we're looking at March 8th, International Women's Day. March 8th, and um, the original demonstration was celebrated in remembrance of a strike by the International Lady Garment Workers Union in New York. And uh, there was no specific demonstration that day, March 8th, but it was decided that it would be held on March 8th that year because March 8th fell on a Sunday. It would be easier for people to show up. International Women's Day reminds us how important uh, the work of women is in everybody's life and reminds us how far we have to go. We still don't have equal pay for women in this country. And people say, well, gee, why... You know, the reason we don't have it is because employers, you know, that women it would hurt the economy if we had equal pay or some, something like that. The bottom line, of course, is that employers are always looking for ways to pay their workers less. <laughs> Gender is just one way of doing that. So on this International Women's Day, please... Appreciate the work of women within our movement and in the general work of society, often unpaid work. And how women are treated. Women are treated all over the world like uh, products, like things to consume. Their pictures, their lives, their time. International Women's Day, March 8th. And so all day long here, we're playing women. We're playing women comics, women politicos, women poets, women singers. And let's start out with a couple of songs from... Artists who were once affiliated with Olivia Records. Olivia Records was a record label that came, was established in the early 1980s, I believe. We'll have to look that up. By radical feminists and uh, lesbian women who decided there was such a thing as women's music. And began playing it and writing it. First we've got Linda Tillery, then Chris Williamson. Yeah, we 
each other. That's what love is for. Don't you let nobody drag your spirit down. Shout your spirit down.
That was uh, Chris Williamson, one of the uh, early giants of what came to be called women's music. Williamson was born in 1947 in Deadwood, South Dakota, achieved like a local fame and started to collaborate with other women, Holly Near, Meg Christian, Margie Adam, all musicians who came women artists of stature, forming an entirely new genre of music, primarily about and for women. During a radio interview in Washington, D.C. in 1973, Williamson suggested that a record label aimed at gay women would be a good idea. The independent label Olivia Records was founded the same day, and Williamson's album The Changer and the Changed, which became in 1975, which became one of the best-selling independent releases of all time. One critic commented, The Changer and the Change was to women's music what Michael Jackson's Thriller was to the music industry in general. In the mid-1980s, an album that sold far beyond the perceived size of the market, more than 100,000 copies in its first year of release. Eventually, it reportedly sold more than 500,000 copies. A record company so far hasn't requested certification for a gold record, but that sales like that would qualify it as a gold record. Williamson went on to record more than a dozen more albums with Olivia Records and later formed her own label, Wolf Moon Records. Chris Williamson. And before that, we had another musician from Olivia Records, early Olivia Records, a very well-known local, local musician, Linda Tillery, and uh, saying, don't ever let nobody disappoint you. Keep on going. And this is the B, and we're going to keep on going. Let me say a word about Mutiny Radio because we're in the middle of an amazing, a very successful comedy festival here at Mutiny Radio. It's been running since March 2nd and it'll end tomorrow evening on March the 6th. Comics and actors from all over the country are here at Mutiny Radio for this uh, festival, which was organized by our hard-working program manager, uh, Pam Benjamin. So come on down, support. Support local cutting-edge culture. Okay, so... Let's see, let's listen to our weekly labor report, and then we'll get on with some more women's music, music by women. This is the 
Workers Independent News. Workers Independent News, we can review. I'm Doug Cunningham. Port truck drivers went on strike again Monday at the nation's largest port complex in Los Angeles and Long Beach, California, expanding their demands for justice directly to the marine terminals. Joanne Powers reports. Workers held pickets at Pacific 9, where they have been on strike since July of last year, and XPO Logistics, one of the world's largest trucking companies. Barb Maynard is spokesperson for the Teamsters Justice for Port Truck Drivers campaign. There are drivers out doing what's called ambulatory picketing, looking for trucks that are entering the port. And when those trucks do enter the port, they can put up a picket line, which is what causes such congestion and delays at the marine terminals. A Brazilian federal prosecutor Thursday opened a criminal investigation into alleged crimes committed by McDonald's. The federal prosecutor is looking into allegations of fiscal and economic crimes by McDonald's, including suspected tax evasion and violations of Brazil's franchise and competition laws. The Brazilian prosecutor, Marcos Jose Gomez Correa, has issued an indictment against McDonald's. The National Association of Graduate and Professional Students has filed an amicus brief urging the National Labor Relations Board to restore collective bargaining rights for research and teaching assistance at Columbia University. Paul Katz is an organizer for the graduates' students of Columbia United Auto Workers. Restoring collective bargaining rights is what we care the most about in this struggle uh, because we believe that, that we have been seeing some gains as we've been organizing. The only way to uh, truly uh, protect what we need to live as educators and researchers is uh, the right to collectively bargain a binding contract with the administration. The UAW is protesting worker rights violations and hazardous working conditions at Ford Auto Parts supplier Ground Effects. The union says as the Dearborn Auto Parts plant is interfering with a fair union election process at the plant. John Salazar was fired from the plant. He told the Detroit Free Press why the workers are protesting at ground effects. The main reason we're out here is to get fair working conditions, uh, better pay, safer environment. We have uh, isocyanates that are used chemicals in the company without proper ventilation and a lot of people have had problems with their skin rashes. Coalition of Labor and Affordable Housing Advocates in Los Angeles is pushing an initiative for sustainable development in the city. Build Better LA wants to lift restrictions on large real estate projects that hire locally and include affordable housing units. Ernesto Arce has more from Los Angeles. Labor and housing advocates in Los Angeles have joined forces to Build Better LA. The coalition announced that it's promoting an initiative to encourage sustainable development in the city. Rusty Hicks, LA County Federation of Labor leader, says Los Angeles officials need to address the lack of affordable housing and living wage jobs. It's uh, estimated we need 82,000 housing units in the city of Los Angeles and too few good jobs in the city. Workers Independent News provided by Diversified Media Enterprises. I'm Doug Cunningham. That was uh, Workers Independent News. And uh, let's listen to world news from Radio Labor. This is what's going on with working people all around the world. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, March 4th, 2016. I'm Mark Boulanger. In the report this week, Iran cracks down on even more union activists. Labor calls for an Indonesian law to protect domestic workers. Public service unions are demanding that corporations pay their fair share of taxes. 
and our Labor Start report about union events around the world. This is Radio Labor. The government of Iran is intensifying its attack on unionists in the country. It has announced that Reza Shahabi, a leader of the Tehran Bus Drivers Union, has been sentenced to a further year in prison. Mr. Shahabi has been repeatedly jailed for his union activities. In 2010, he was again jailed, badly beaten, and put into solitary confinement. He started a hunger strike to object to his arrest and lack of medical attention. A protest by the International Labor Movement at a conference of the UN's International Labor Organization resulted in Mr. Shahabi's release on medical grounds. But now, the government of Iran, hoping that attention to Mr. Shahabi has died down, is trying to imprison him for another year. The new sentencing of Mr. Shahabi comes after Ismail Abdi, the leader of the Tehran branch of the Iranian Teachers Trade Association, was sentenced to six years in jail. Mr. Abdi was charged after he helped lead demonstrations against the poor wages of teachers in the country. To better understand the situation of unionists in Iran, especially teacher activists, I talked to Akbar Zarin. Mr. Zarin was elected as a union leader by teachers in Esfahan, the country's third largest city. We spoke through an interpreter. I asked him to describe his union activities. I'm the activist of the trade union in Isfahan, and I've been uh, very active in this matter, but since the uh, government uh, canceled my membership, they didn't want me to be a member of a union, I went to Tehran. I moved from Isfahan to Tehran that at least I'd be able to uh, serve my duties in Tehran. But right now, since uh, the, they have actually canceled my membership, but I'm the activist of the trade unions. How is the Iranian government treating teacher unions in the country? Every other sector, like the steel coal or the farm farmers, all these unions are totally legal in Iran, but they don't recognize our union. They try to not recognize our union. And um, that's why if uh, ever since last year that all these activities has happened, now they are trying to tell us to start a new uh, union. So we are trying to at least show ourselves that we are here as a union. Interpreter services for this interview were provided by Hamid Garaji, a longtime activist with the International Alliance in Support of Workers in Iran. Labor leaders are demanding that the government of Indonesia take immediate action to protect domestic workers in the country. Radio Labor's senior correspondent Seamary Ainsborough has a report. The International Domestic Workers Federation, the IDWF, has called on the government of Indonesia to ratify an international law designed to protect domestic workers. The call comes after four workers escaped from an Indonesian employer who had kept them as virtual slaves for 12 years. The IDWF is a global federation which represents 400,000 domestic workers in 47 countries. Elizabeth Tang, the general secretary of the IDWF, told the media that no worker should be treated like the four women who were enslaved in Indonesia. No one should work in slave-like conditions, she said. 
Domestic work, she added, is work and domestic workers are workers. The Federation wants the Indonesian government to ratify the Domestic Workers Convention of the International Labour Organization. The ILO is a United Nations agency focused on matters of work in the world. The convention, if adopted, would ensure that domestic workers are covered by the same labour laws as any other worker in the country, with access to time off, maternity leave, safety protections and more. ILO Convention 189 on Domestic Workers came into force in 2013. So far, it has been adopted by 22 countries. This is Seamarie Ainsborough reporting for Radio Labour. Public Services International, the global union federation which represents public employees at the global level, is intensifying its campaign for fair tax regimes. It is building a coalition of unions and NGOs to force corporations to pay their fair share of taxes, which could then be used to provide decent public services. One of the NGOs the PSI is working with is Action Aid. Action Aid, which is based in Johannesburg, works in 45 countries to end poverty and social injustice. Adriano Capolina is the executive director of Action Aid. He was asked who benefits most from the current tax regimes around the world. The current tax regime have basically two big groups that benefit. Number one are the transnational corporates that pay much less taxes uh, and by that way they really increase their profits and their power uh, as well as uh, some of the billionaire elites as we don't have a sufficiently progressive tax regime, which means that super billionaires pay proportionally less taxes than many other common people across the world. But also it's about power. So rich governments also benefit from tax regime that ends up paying more taxes in the north and therefore uh, strengthening and reinforcing the northern states uh, in, in opposition to a tax regime that could strengthen states across the world. Mr. Campolino was asked what the role of labor unions should be in the fight for fair tax systems. I believe unions, the first thing and foremost is organize workers to fight for their rights. And one of their rights is a right to a tax regime that can really benefit the entire society by the provision of services to everyone, including the workers, as well as to make sure that the companies where they work for, uh, where you have uh, this, this workforce uh, in, in those companies uh, that they also uh, work ethically, they follow their morals, they really build a system in which uh, some sort of redistribution happens, both through taxes as well as through salaries. Now here with his report about union events around the world is Labor Star correspondent Derek Blackadder. Here's a small sample of the more than 2,200 stories our volunteers collected in the last week. Our top story section included links to news about the underground sit-in strike by Georgian miners, the growing pressure on the Moroccan government to end the harassment of trade union activists, and the lawsuit launched by the International Transport Workers Federation against the Gambian government over the death of a trade union leader. We had news of strikes and lockouts in dozens of countries. Here are just a few highlights. In Bangladesh, fertilizer factory workers down tools to demand that they be paid wages owed to them and won. Sugar workers in Guyana continued their weekly, day-long strikes for job security. Indian auto workers escalated their struggle by starting a hunger strike. Irish chocolate bar workers began a wage strike. Truckers in Russia started their strike over a wide range of problems with their working conditions. 
Canadian municipal workers escalated their work-to-will campaign in an effort to resist takeaway demands by the City of Toronto, while municipal workers in Zimbabwe won months of back pay owed to them after a sit-in strike. And in Nigeria, municipal workers started a walkout for wages owed to them. Our top working women's stories included coverage of a study that concluded that sexual harassment is near universal in Japanese workplaces, the campaign for equal pay in New Zealand, and the union reaction to an increase in daycare costs in Finland. Our Health and Safety Newswire carried stories to hundreds of union websites around the world about the passage of a workers' compensation law in Pakistan, a rally in solidarity with a nurse fired for going public about the high levels of workplace violence in Canadian hospitals, and the deaths of Russian workers in a mine explosion. Currently, Labour Start is running six online actions. Take just a few seconds out of your day and join the thousands of trade unionists around the world who are helping workers make their lives better, or even help save those lives. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. And that's it. International labor news you can use. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Labor. I'm Mark Belanger. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity. Yes, indeed, about global solidarity. And uh, as I keep repeating, you're only alone when you don't stand up and step out. And if you don't stand up, you'll be counted as standing up for sitting down. 2,200 stories around the world about workers who are organizing to change and improve their jobs and their lives. Okay, later later on we'll get to uh, labor history, but right now there's a request from someone whose birthday it was yesterday.
This next jam right here is called Trabajador, Trabadora. It's a working people song. We dedicate this to our parents, all the people worked that allowed for us to be here today. So, is it for you, Mama? Elders for 
encourage you speak. Ancestors whose hard work paved the way into each one of you. Out there doing labor today to our indigenous people and our creator too. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. So thank you. Thank you. Cafeteras live in Studio 1A here. Yay, that was awesome. Daddy, you do not do, you do not do any more black shoe in which I have lived like a foot for 30 years, poor and white, barely daring to breathe or chew. Daddy, I have had to kill you. You died before I had time, marble heavy, a bag full of God, ghastly statue with one gray toe big as a Frisco seal, and a head in the freakish Atlantic where it pours bean green over blue in the waters off beautiful Nosset. I used to pray to recover you, ach du, in the German tongue in the Polish town, scraped flat by the roller of wars, wars, wars. But the name of the town is common my Polak friend says there are a dozen or two. So I never could tell where you put your foot, your root. I never could talk to you. The tongue stuck in my jaw. It's stuck in a barbed wire snare. Eek, 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 eek. I could hardly speak. I thought every German was you. And the language obscene, an engine, an engine chuffing me off like a Jew, a Jew to Dachau, Auschwitz, Belsen. I began to talk like a Jew. I think I may well be a Jew. The snows of the Tyrol, the clear beer of Vienna, are not very pure or true. With my gypsy ancestress and my weird luck and my tarok pack and my tarok pack, I may be a bit of a Jew. I have always been scared of you, with your Luftwaffe, your gobbledygoo, and your neat moustache, and your Aryan eye, bright blue. Panzerman, Panzerman, oh you, not God, but a swastika, so black no sky could squeak through. Every woman adores a fascist, the boot in the face, the brute, brute heart of a brute like you. You stand at the blackboard, Daddy, 
in the picture I have of you, a cleft in your chin instead of your foot. But no less a devil for that, no not any less the black man who bit my pretty red heart in two. I was ten when they buried you. At twenty I tried to die and get back, back, back to you. I thought even the bones would do. But they pulled me out of the sack and they stuck me together with glue. And then I knew what to do. I made a model of you, a man in black with a Mein Kampf look and a love of the rack and the screw, and I said, I do, I do. So, Daddy, I'm finally through. The black telephone's off at the root, the voices just can't worm through. If I've killed one man, I've killed two. The vampire who said he was you and drank my blood for a year, seven years, if you want to know. Daddy, you can lie back now. There's a stake in your fat black heart, and the villagers never liked you. They are dancing and stamping on you. They always knew it was you. Daddy, daddy, you bastard, I'm through. Okay, and that set we had, uh, hey, Sylvia Plath, Daddy, you bastard, I'm through. Something to talk about, a request from uh, a woman who's celebrating her birthday today, a teacher, followed by Las Cafeteras Trabajador, Trabajadora, their uh, song honoring their parents for the work they did to help them get where they came from and to remember about the work that people do. And then we had uh, Sylvia Plath. Sylvia Plath reciting her poem, Daddy, uh, where she puts herself in the place of the victims of the, uh, call it the male principle. And she embodies it, of course, in Nazism, which is kind of the ultimate expression of uh, male brutality, male dominance. I want to talk about a couple of women now. One of them is uh, an organizer, a tireless organizer of on the left talk about her but we're going to start with Berta Cáceres Berta Cáceres was, is, was a Honduran indigenous leader uh, she was assassinated in her home in Honduras one of the leading organizers for indigenous land rights in Honduras in 1993, she co-founded the National Council of Popular and Indigenous Organizations of Honduras. For years, the group faced death threats and repression as they stood up to mining and dam projects that threatened to destroy their community. Honduras is one of the latest occasions where the United States decided it didn't like an elected leader went in and removed them at the behest of uh, 
American countries, American interests, and the interests of the well-to-do business people in Honduras. Um, let's hear what Berta Cáceres has to say. This is from uh, Democracy Now! And Honduran indigenous and environmental organizer Berta Cáceres has been assassinated in her home. She was one of the leading organizers for indigenous land rights in Honduras. In 1993, she co-founded the National Council of Popular and Indigenous Organizations of Honduras, or COPIN. For years, the group faced death threats and repression as they stood up to mining and dam projects that threatened to destroy their community. Uh, last year, Cáceres won the Goldman Environmental Prize, the world's leading environmental award. In a video released by the foundation, she described how she helped organize indigenous communities in Honduras to resist a hydro dam on the Gualcarque River because it could, it could destroy their water supply. In more than 150 indigenous assemblies, our community decided that it did not want that hydroelectric dam. Berta filed complaints with the Honduran government and organized peaceful protests in the nation's capital. As her visibility increased, she became a target for the government. We denounced this dam and were threatened with smear campaigns, imprisonment and murder. But nobody heard our voices until we set up a roadblock to take back control of our territory. For well over a year, the Linka maintained the roadblock with standing harassment and violent attacks. Tragically, Rio Blanca community leader Tomas Garcia was shot by the Honduran military at a peaceful protest. Seeing this man murdered, the community became indignant, forcing a confrontation. The company was told that they had to get out. We have 500 people here and we are Rio Blanco comrades. We will defend Rio Blanco and we will not let them pass. And that is how Sinohydro left Rio Blanco. But it cost us in blood. That was a profile of 2015 Goldman Environmental Prize winner Berta Cáceres. It was narrated by Robert Redford. In accepting the award, Cáceres vowed to continue standing up for the rights of Mother Earth and indigenous communities. Buenas noches, gracias a la familia Goldman. En nuestras cosmovisiones, in our worldviews, we are beings who come from the earth from the water and from corn. The Lenca people are ancestral guardians of the rivers, in turn protected by the spirits of young girls who teach us that giving our lives in various ways for the protection of the rivers is giving our lives for the well-being of humanity and of this planet. Copin, walking alongside people struggling for their emancipation, validates this commitment to continue protecting our waters, the rivers, our shared resources, and nature in general, as well as our rights as a people. 
Despertemos. Let us wake up. Let us wake up humankind. We are out of time. We must shake our conscience free of the rapacious capitalism, racism, and patriarchy that will only assure our own self-destruction. The Huacarque River has called upon us, as have other gravely threatened rivers. We must answer their call. Our Mother Earth, militarized, fenced in, poisoned, a place where basic rights are systematically violated, demands that we take action. Let us build societies that are able to coexist in a dignified way, in a way that protects life. Let us come together and remain hopeful as we defend and care for the blood of this earth and of its spirits. I dedicate this award to all the rebels out there, to my mother, to the Lenca people, to Rio Blanco, and to the martyrs who gave their lives in the struggle to defend our natural resources. Thank you very much. That was Berta Cáceres speaking less than a year ago when she received the Goldman Environmental Prize. She was gunned down in her home in La Esperanza in Honduras early on Thursday. La Esperanza means hope in Spanish. Today, protests demanding justice for Cáceres are scheduled from Washington, D.C. to Tegucigalpa, Honduras. On Thursday, the Goldman Environmental Foundation released a statement that read in part, quote, we mourn the loss of an inspirational leader and will honor her life's work by continuing to highlight the courageous work of Goldman Prize winners like Berta. She built an incredible community of grassroots activists in Honduras who will carry on the campaign she fought and died for. Meanwhile, Democratic Senator Patrick Leahy of Vermont called Cáceres' death a great loss for the people of Honduras and warned that the Honduran government's inability to protect her would, quote, weigh heavily on future U.S. aid to Central America, to that Central American country. Last year, a report by the group Global Witness found Honduras' one of the deadliest countries for environmentalists. According to the report, at least two people working to save the environment were killed each week in 2014. In total, the group Global Witness documented the murders of at least 116 environmental activists last year. Three quarters of them were killed in Central and South America. For more, we're going to San Francisco, where we're joined by Berta Cáceres' nephew, Silvio Carrillo. He is a freelance video journalist in the Bay Area and in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We're joined by Beverly Bell longtime friend and colleague of Berta. She's currently the coordinator of Other Worlds, a social and economic justice organization. We welcome you both to Democracy Now! Silvio, our condolences. Um, we are so utterly devastated by the death of your aunt. I know you are flying down to Honduras. Thank you for staying for this conversation. Can you talk about your—can you talk about Berta's significance and what she was trying to do in her life? Well, that's, uh, that's a big ask. Um, she was trying to do many things in her life. She was trying to be a mother, be a, be a daughter, be, a, you know, be a, 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 an aunt, uh, be a human being, respect human beings. Um, and this is what she did every day for the indigenous people of Honduras and across Latin America. I mean, she helped uh, coordinate uh, indigenous solidarity networks uh, throughout Latin America and, and, and around the world. In fact, she was always asked to speak around the world 
many people knew her uh, throughout the world. And if you look on social media, there's reactions from everywhere. Um, Berta was, was always on the go. And, um, you know, she, and so now we have to be on the go. Um, this, is, this is how it is. And she knew this was how this was going to end. Uh, and uh, Beverly Bell, the, the, uh, the importance of her work and the role of the Honduran government and uh, 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 the current government that exists uh, uh, in Honduras? There's no way to overstate the importance of Berta's work. She was working very closely, actually, with the democratically elected uh, President Mel Zelaya uh, to work to quote, refound democracy. And she was doing this in the same way that Berta did everything, which was through grassroots mobilization um, of workers, of women, of significantly indigenous people and campesinos, which is um, the population that was represented in the organization that she founded some 20 years ago. Uh, she was working for a wholly new form of governance in Honduras, not just a new government, but a new system whereby people had the say and the riches of the country went to benefit them instead of the tiny elite. And it was for this, actually, that Mel Zelaya, who was very close to those demanding land reform and these rights and this refounding, as they called it, of democracy, it was in large part for this that he was ousted, and I must add, with the very, very close help of the U.S. government. And Berta continued to work for that change for true participatory democracy that empowered women, that empowered LGBTQ individuals, that empowered those who have always been left on the margins, excluded from political processes and from economic benefits. And it was for that reason, in part, that she was assassinated by the government. In 2013. And by the, no doubt with the backing of the transnational corporations that she and the group that she ran were opposing. In 2013, Berta Caceres spoke to Democracy Now! No, claro que no. Eh, la población hoy... The population today, those who've been in resistance who are from the Libre Party, are challenging the repressive apparatus, with the absence of the construction of real power from the communities. But now, these people are voting enthusiastically for the Libre Party that we hope will be distinct from the other political parties. This scenario is playing out in all the regions of Honduras, in Zacata Grande, Garifuna communities, campesino sectors, women, feminists, artists, journalists, and indigenous communities. We all know how these people have been hard hit, especially the journalists, LGBTQ community, and indigenous communities. This is all part of what they've done to create a climate of fear. Here, there's a policy of the state to instill terror and political persecution. This is to punish the Honduran people so that people don't opt for the other way and look for changes to the political economic situation and the militarization. That was Berta Cáceres in 2013, interviewed by Andalusian Noel. Um, Silvio Carillo, you covered for Al Jazeera the coup in 2009 in Honduras. And talk about how what happened then, the ouster of the democratically elected leader, um, uh, Zelaya, the president, how that has set the tone for what's happening, the murders that are taking place today in Honduras. Well, it set a precedent for chaos that the U.S. was apparently very willing to accept. Um, they didn't like Zelaya. Uh, they thought he was too allied with, with uh, Chavez and, and so not, didn't overly support uh, the coup, but didn't denounce it either. I mean, and Barack Obama was asked about it in the White House, and he says, this coup is not legal. 
Well, of course it's not legal. No coup is legal. That's the whole, that's by definition, that's what a coup is. No, it is no. illegal. And they did nothing to help the situation in Honduras. The Congress was hemming and hawing. Uh, Hillary Clinton's spokesperson, uh, the State Department spokespersons were, didn't even know what to say. That was an embarrassment. And they were barely, they weren't even called out on it. Um, and it was, it was a shameful, shameful exhibition uh, by the U.S. And in Honduras, on the ground, it was, it was complete chaos. When Zelaya tried to fly back in, I was there when, they, when the military shot a boy in the head. Um, they killed him, and I followed the family back to their hometown where they buried him and where they, where they mourned their loss. And, it, and there was no justice for the, for the boy. They never figured out who shot him, but we, I mean, it was quite clear. It was a military gun that fired the bullet that went into his head. The autopsy for the boy was conducted in, in, by, by, by um, the government officials, and no one was there to oversee that. Just like Berta's autopsy last night, there was a request from the family to have uh, an independent forensics ex expert there, and they denied it. So, you know, it's just, a, it's just a culture of obfuscation when these things happen, and that's what it's going to, sadly, uh, that's what it's going to continue to be. And uh, Beverly Bell, we only have about a minute or so left. Uh, the, uh, there was a group of gunmen, supportedly, that, that broke into her home and killed her. And initial reports from the police were that it was pro uh, probably robbery. Uh, your sense of whether this was a, a definite target assassination that was occurring here? This was a targeted assassination. Berta Cáceres received so many death threats, it would be impossible to count them. She lived under constant um, knowledge, uh, as her nephew said, that she would be assassinated. We all knew it. I began writing her eulogy several years ago. This is not a woman who was to die of old age. She was absolutely assassinated, and I would like to point out that the single witness to the crime, Gustavo Castro from Chiapas, Mexico, continues to be held by the government. I just spoke to his wife a few moments ago, and they have not yet released him. They say for questioning now more than 24 hours later. So this is a tremendous concern that this man be allowed to leave and to go back home safely to Mexico. Um, you mentioned the coup, Sylvia. We just have 20 seconds. But at the time, uh, Hillary Clinton was the secretary of state and was very involved in uh, what was happening in Honduras. Well, I, you know, <laughs> there were, I don't know what she was involved in. She was involved in, you know, Lanny Davis was also involved in getting payments from the Honduran government. And he's very closely allied to Hillary Clinton. This is why this, this was never clear-cut. It was never called an outright push to say, to say, for them to say it was a coup. Um, and they backed off of that, and they didn't know what to do. Um, it was a very confusing situation for them, but I think it's pretty clear now, in hindsight, what they should have done. Well, I want to— Okay, that was Democracy Now!'s coverage of the assassination of Berta Cáceres an environmental and political leader, organizer in Honduras. And here is uh, Sweet Honey in the Rock. Let us rise in love. <laughs> 
Betty Carter with her version of The Good Life, sung also by Tony Bennett. The Good Life, when are you going to get real? When are you going to look around and uh, see your place in the world? And then uh, we had Billie Holiday with her classic Strange Fruit. First sung at a club in New York in 1939. A poem written by a New York uh, elementary school teacher uh, when he read about the lynching in Indiana of two uh, African-American men. Billie Holiday. And then we had Sweet Honey in the Rock, a D.C. Uh, women's choral group singing Let Us Rise in Love. This is The Bee, and you're listening to Labor and Love, your Saturday morning labor magazine, where we talk about the labor movement, past, present, and future. Commentary, opinion, and culture by, for, and about working people. And as always, music of social significance. We're celebrating women who made a difference, specifically uh, women who made a difference, Latinas who made a difference. This one is about a woman named Silvia Mendez and a famous lawsuit that was brought uh, in Lemon Grove, California, Sylvia Mendez. In 1944, eight-year-old Sylvia Mendez arrived at the 17th Street School in Westminster, California to enroll for the fall semester. She came with her aunt, her two brothers, and her two cousins. A school administrator looked at the family and told Sylvia and her brothers that they were too dark to attend 17th Street School and had to go instead to Hoover, the Mexican school down the street. Sylvia's cousins were light-skinned enough to attend the white school. Like many California towns at this time, Westminster was divided. One world for whites with better schools, housing, and jobs, and another with run-down schools, poor housing, and hard farm labor for Mexican immigrants. Sylvia's family was furious that she was denied the right to attend the better school in her neighborhood. They decided to take the fight to the school board, and eventually all the way to the U.S. District Court. Some of the most important people in Sylvia's corner were her parents, Gonzalo and Felicitas, who believed that their children had a right to an education and hope for them to become anything they wanted. Sylvia's parents organized other Mexican families and sent a letter of protest to the Westminster School Board. They argued that their children should have the right to be able to attend any public school in the district. They were denied, but they did not give up. 
On March 2, 1945, the Mendezes and four other Mexican-American families filed a class action lawsuit against several Orange County school boards on behalf of more than 5,000 children who were attending segregated schools. Sylvia and her family became organizers and activists. They went around and knocked on neighbors' doors, held protests, and wrote about their fight. They even got the attention of a young African-American attorney named Thurgood Marshall, who would later win an important case against school segregation of black children in the South, known as Brown versus the Board of Education. Several others from the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, the NAACP, wrote letters to the courts supporting the Mendez family and asking for justice. In court, Superintendent James L. Kent said that Mexicans should be segregated like pigs in pig pens because they carried lice and diseases. Despite racist testimony like this, Judge Paul McCormick ruled in favor of Sylvia and the other children on February 18, 1946. The Orange County School Boards filed an appeal, but the decision was upheld. Sylvia and her family had proven in court that public schools cannot deny students access on the basis of race or ethnicity. In September 1947, Sylvia and her two brothers, Gonzalo Jr. and Jeronimo, enrolled in the 17th Street School. In several other Orange County school districts that fall, many Mexican children also enrolled in previously white-only schools. Sylvia and her family were pioneers in the fight for equal rights in education. Sylvia grew up and became a nurse, but she never stopped talking to students and families about how to fight for civil rights and equality. On February 15, 2011, Sylvia Mendez was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by President Barack Obama. She continues to fight for all children to have access to a quality education. Life and work of uh, Sylvia Mendez, one of the plaintiffs in a famous case that eventually uh, helped to do away with the doctrine of separate but equal. That doctrine was that if you had a school and it was the same quality as the white school, then that was legal. So Sylvia Mendez and of course the schools were never equal. In the case of Brown versus the State Board, that whole system of segregation was challenged all across the South. But before that was this case with uh, Sylvia Mendez. It's about, uh, what have we got, 11.30 here? And we've still got several things to do. I want to read... Uh, from Anarchy Comics. 
the article is called The Quilting Bee. And it's about a teacher, as a lot of the uh, things we do here are. We must be individual revolutionaries, the comic starts, cooperating down with all bosses. We have refused to allow ourselves to be directed, spoken for, and eventually cooled off. Estelle Duffy, spinster Greek classicist, had her third year of toil in a New Jersey boys' school. And she's talking to the class. She says, what about the point of Ovid's tale about Melager? The giant boars were the predecessors, predecessors of the male chauvinist pig. Why should I continue to teach status quo classics, she wonders. I'm sick of stale male pride. And one of her students says, Hey, teach, give us a break and quit wearing your bra. Hey, class. One day she just snaps and she yells, Arthur Pedester School can intercourse itself. Pound your jazz-clogged classics into your own pea brains. Jobless and blue, Estelle enters a women's art gallery in search of creative validation. And there it is, the letter, Leather Heart Gallery. Interesting pieces, she said. Thanks, one of the women tells her. They're just bomb plans. I dropped out of physics, too. Too much male competition. I was going to work for the Zionist effort, but couldn't be a secretary. My butt's too fat. So conceptual war toys, maybe I'll get married and drop a few bombs of my own. How about going for a drink, Estelle says. Job, let's see. Oh, there they are there going to a place. Give me back my dog, you bastard! This woman yells. <coughs> One of the people at the coffee place. Hi, could you two use a cup of coffee or something? We'll get him, Zoe. Try a drink and another German shepherd. Shit, fuck, damn. So Estelle and her friend ask this woman, how long have you been hooking? Since I was 11, Alabama. That's when I shot him, after he'd hung me out the window once too much. The coat hanger's scars got to healing. I got into stripping. Glasses and ashes and bottles later. Well, here we are, babe. Here we be. Four full of fury and nowhere to spend it. So they're thinking about a, uh, a business they could get into. How about a singing delivery service? Yeah, let's build us a mail order business. Exploding cakes, what a way to finish off a convention, huh? The group enjoins capitalism. Cover for us, Zoe. No soliciting, but I gotta solicit. My dog can't live on eraser heads. So they sneak the cake into the convention. Here it is, boys. Queen-size dessert. And, of course, the cake blows up. 327 die in Knights of Galileo cake blast. Good cake, too. Hey, what about a visit with our sisters in the cage? So 
So they're in jail. And one of them says, we're a women's poetry collective. We call ourselves the Quilting Bee. We're giving a reading today. Yeah, yeah, come on in. Dressed as little old ladies, they enter the women's penitentiary. Girls, the guard says, look sharp, entertainment, some real culture. Better talk fast, she says. Our poem is short and sweet. Bouquet and coffee cake. Duck, girls! And there the cake explodes. The walls are down. Run for it. Hell, why should I? My old man will just beat me up when I get home. Yeah, screw it. I eat better where I am. No lice, no selling ass. What's the matter with you bitches? Don't you want to be free? Don't you want to live? You want this system to keep on pimping your asses? Come on, teach. In her home or in a jail, you can't help a dame who thinks like she's tail. That's from uh, Anarchy Comics, the complete collection published by PM Press. Okay. 11.35. There's Lily Tomlin. The FBI. One ringy dingy. Is this Mr. Hoover? Mr. Jedger Hoover? Good. Then, then I have reached the party to whom I am speaking. Mr. Hoover, this is Miss Tomlin from the telephone company. It is my duty, Mr. Hoover, to discuss with you some of the abuses of your instrument. Yes, yeah, yes, it, it does sound rather un-American, doesn't it? <laughs> now then, Mr. Hoover, I have your file here before me. Oh, yes, I'm sure that you have a file on me, too. <laughs> After all, turnabout is fair play. <laughs> yes, it does sound perverted. <laughs> now, <laughs> now then... Mr. Hoover, I have a delicate problem. I find that you and your agents have indulged in the illegal and unfair practice of wiretapping. Wiretapping. Oh, Mr. Hoover, listening to other people's conversations. Oh, how do I know? From listening to your calls, that's how I know. Oh, no. Mr. Hoover, don't be rude. I'll make a loud noise into my mouthpiece and perhaps deafen you for life. No. Mr. Hoover, may I ask, do you have a telephone directory handy? Good. Let us turn to page VIII and recite in unison. It is a crime under both federal and state law to use a telephone for annoying or harassing purposes or to knowingly permit a phone under one's control to be used for such purposes. This includes calls in which the caller remains silent, etc., 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 etc. Oh, you do know the law, Mr. Hoover. Now, Jedgar, listen, is there anybody at your place listening in? 
Everybody, good. Let's get right to the nitty gritty. There's absolutely no reason for your people to skulk about, electronically speaking. You, you can get all the information you need from us. Probably a lot more accurately, too. Good. Good, then we will be in touch. Oh, and Mr. Hoover, before you go, I must tell you how much I admire your vacuum cleaner. Hello? Mr. Hoover? Well, why do you suppose he got so huffy? I was just being complimentary. Everybody knows there's nothing like a Hoover when you're dealing with dirt. <laughs> Lily Tomlin, a little routine called the FBI. Now I want to play something uh, now about your rights on the job, specifically what is protected speech? And uh, this is from the Union Edge, a, a labor radio station. What is protected speech? In other words, what can you say that your boss can't get mad at you or fire you or penalize you for? Here we go, Union Edge. Information about our March 18th event. You can find our sweet swag um, and find old podcasts of our old episodes, as well as checking out our Facebook and Twitter, The Union Edge. Um, and speaking of Facebook and Twitter, we have today Mike Healy and Jay Hornack of Healy and Hornack Law Practices. Welcome to the program, guys. Hey, pleasure Good to be here. So we want to talk a little bit today about social media. The, the world is advancing rapidly. There's a lot of social media platforms. Folks are constantly talking to one another on them. Uh, but the National Labor Relations Board has been a little bit slow to catch up um, on what is legally protected speech. I know that companies have sometimes disciplined workers uh, for posting things on their Facebook or on their Twitter walls about their workplaces. So to help us talk about that. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, do, I'll, I'll step back and do a little bit of history. When I first started working organizing drives, um, it was, there were phone calls, there were meetings, you go to people's houses. Now a lot of this is done on social media. It's Facebook, it's Twitter, it's emails and things like that. And, and virtually every organizing drive we're involved in, there's like legal issues over Facebook, over Twitter. Uh, and we've run into a lot of cases, especially within the fight for 15, of workers being disciplined based on things they've posted on Facebook. We have a case pending against Chipotle that we think we're going to win, uh, where a person posted on Facebook about the, the, the low wages they paid. And the board found, found this violation. We went to a hearing. We're just waiting for the final decision. But it's, a, but it's an ongoing issue, and I get calls on this every week. So what is the argument the company has, Chipotle has, for saying that a worker can't talk about their wages uh, in a in a public setting or to their friends and family? It's confidential. <laughs> uh, I mean, really really what they say, they, they have these policy books and they say, you can't talk about anything confidential such as wages. So 
but when you st step back and think about it in an organizing drive, one of the main things workers are talking about is wages, and you have a, an absolute right under federal labor law to, to talk about wages. So the, the labor board has been pretty good about this, and if you're disciplined for talking about wages, they've found violations of that. We've had three or four cases uh, against Wendy's, Chipotle, and Kentucky Fried Chicken where they've had to remake their social media policies and rewrite their social media policies. So the labor board's getting better on it. It just takes them a long time. And is that any different than if um, Chipotle workers were on the street and leafleting folks going by and saying, this is how much I make here, you really shouldn't patronize this place until they pay their workers a Sa fair wage. Sa same, same concept. You have a right to picket, to hand out leaflets. That's protected concerted activity. Posting on social media, Facebook, Twitter, that's also protected concerted activity. But one of the analogies in the cases is that what used to be you're talking at the water cooler about wages is now it's talking on Facebook about wages. So what else is going on? You know, what are some of the other uh, challenges that workers have been facing when they've been, you know, communicating about the, their working conditions on social media? Uh, and what has the labor board found in response? Yeah, here's here. There's like six or seven different issues. The the, the one one thing is is confidentiality, and um, basically you can talk about wages, hours, and working conditions. You can't reveal trade secrets, so that's sort of the line. You can't, for example, you can't post what the Kentucky Fried Chicken menu is. You wouldn't be able to do that. And then you can criticize your... Recipe. Menu. You could Menu. Recipe. Recipe. That's right. right. <laughs> uh, and, and you can talk about uh, your company's being unfair to you. They're not paying good wages. And that's perfectly legal. Where you might get in trouble if you start saying, well, the, the, the food here is not safe. The product's not safe. If you get into what's called product disparagement, you, might, you might, might not be protected. And what we're talking about only apply, these kind of protections only apply to in a workplace when it's concerted activities. You're talking about working conditions. If you step over outside the workplace, so for example, I work at Kentucky Fried Chicken. I can talk about wages. I can pick it about wages. But if I go out and I participate in a demonstration on immigrant rights or a political campaign, I don't have labor law protection for that. And a lot of people have been disciplined and fired for that. Some we've gotten back, but it's, it, that gets tr it's a tricky line. So if they start participating in organizing that's not explicitly about uh, you know, addressing their workplace issues, and they start talking about Kentucky Fried Chicken and why they're you know not treated well in the workplace that's when it becomes a problem yeah if they if they go beyond serving pure political speech it's not tied to the workplace basically the line is is are your demands something the company could do something about so when fight for 15 says I want fifteen dollars in a union that's something the, the the company can respond to but if you're demonstrating for uh, we should uh, we should allow all the immigrants to stay in this country. That's not something that the company has any control over. And if they discipline you for participating in that demonstration, you might have a legal problem. Though we, there might be some First Amendment issues there that haven't been fully litigated yet. Well, Mike's uh, talked a lot about uh, the content of the speech. What I wanted to talk a little bit about is um, the issue of context or you know the time and place where the speech happens. Um, it could be in a setting where there's an, a union or organizing effort or one where there isn't one going on, but there might be some issue involving the workplace conditions. Um, a company 
can and more and more companies have written policies on the issue of social media. But before getting in again to um, content, uh, they'll very often say that you can't use company equipment, you know, computers during, you know, at any time, and that you can't communicate uh, via social media during work time. And generally speaking, those types of rules, I think, are going to be considered reasonable. Where an employer could get into trouble is by uneven enforcement. If they, you know, punish somebody communicating during a break um, and not others, but it's, you know, again, that's critical of the workplace, consider concerted activities, or if they enforce the rules against uh, African-American employees but not white employees, there could be a discrimination issue. So um, that's one of the things that uh, right up front uh, should just be aware of, you know, when the communication takes place, not just UnionEdge.com Labor's Talk Radio. What they're talking about are your rights in the workplace. What kind of speech is protected? And, and you heard them say that. Uh, pardon me. You have the right to talk about working conditions and wages. That's protected speech, hiring policies. Anything that's specific to the place where you work. Um, something, in, in short, that the company could do something about. So don't let anyone, you also have wine garden rights, which means that you can take a union representative or uh, a colleague into uh, any meeting you have with administration. Okay, so a lot of times you'll see people go in alone with an administrator. It's happened a lot in teaching because they thought they could talk as equal to the administrator and get what they wanted. Uh, that's not the case. Have a witness there. If your boss wants to talk to you, they can talk to you just as easily if you have a, a witness there with you, either taking notes or not. Okay, this is the B, and it's time to sign off. The Internacional.
Most people don't even know what those are. California yeah, most of them don't. Knows and how to we need to give uh, everybody a little California example of what we know. Well, they should to go to trialta.com to see the six different kinds of cannabinoids that are all distilled the for their medicinal city. needs. Yes, in and the they're city. so wonderful. Have you heard about the CBN? Did you even know this existed? Is that like waffles? No, CBN is the cannabinoid in the plant that makes you fall asleep. Oh my God. Weed to make you sleep. Like, yeah. Does that put cancer to sleep? It puts cancer to sleep. It doesn't even get you high. It just puts you to sleep. There's also the THCA. Pain relief. Don't eat any more opioids. Does that come from the vegetation state? It, it certainly does. You clearly know your botanicals. You know your Alta California botanicals. Yes, and there's also a CB, high CBD and a mixture of both high THC and CBD. That's right. Helps with the shaky shakies. If you have anxiety, go with the CBD. If you like to get high, go with the THC. Go with it all. Go to your local dispensary and ask for it by name. Alta California botanicals. Or go to tryalta.com. If you give them your medical prescription, you can get two weeks for free Alta. <laughs> absolutely try alta.com hey you psychedelic junkies need something to do Tuesday March 1st well get your ass on out to the Golden Bull in Oakland at 8pm for a stellar lineup of psychedelic rock brought to you by Subliminal SF. Featuring War Cloud, Cloud Catcher of Denver, and Skunk. Then, Thursday, March 31st, check out Seattle Band UN Hissing and Cardinal Worm. Also another band to be announced. Same place, same time. $8. Funeral Doom is the genre. For complete listings and more information, visit subliminalsf.com or check them out on Facebook. See you there. What's up, San Francisco? The SF Eagle Bar is proud to sponsor the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. The SF Eagle is about to celebrate its third year anniversary since reopening under new ownership and new management. We are historically a gay leather bar, and now we cater to the queer LGBT community. As well as our allies by hosting fundraisers for local nonprofits and events to celebrate love and equality. I ain't got no dick, but I love the Eagle. Yeah, you Ooh, do. Yes. Located at 398 12th Street at Harrison Street and open every single goddamn day. So check www.sf-eagle.com yeah. for calendar of events. And we will see you 3-3-16. By the way opening day of our special midnight comedy showcase for the mutiny comedy festival i see you guys there hell yeah industrial metals taking over 
Golden Bull in Oakland, April 5th, with the Death Kings of LA, Genocide Skin, Ort Cloud, and other bands to be announced. 8 p.m., $8, all industrial metal. They come again on April 15th to see some noise rock. The other band on Earth will be there. Jerkagram of LA will be there. And Love Moon. Same place, different time. 9 p.m., 7 bucks. Brought to you by Subliminal SF. For complete listings and more information, visit subliminalsf.com or check them out on Facebook at facebook.com slash subliminalsf. is a proud sponsor of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. We appreciate how comedians are, well, they're poor, and they need a delicious and inexpensive alternative to craft beer. Now, that's why every Pabst Blue Ribbon is affordable and accessible to even the dirtiest of dickbag comedians, allowing them to be in public at a bar interacting with people they probably shouldn't, like women. So go buy your favorite comedian at PBR. They need the encouragement that someone, somewhere, cares what they have to say. Pabst Blue Ribbon, keeping comedians funny with classically delicious flavor since 1844. Which is crazy, because it was America's best in 
with the Dragged into Sunlight out of UK. Primitive Man of Denver and Cult Leader, Salt Lake City. 8 p.m. $10. July 15th. Brought to you by Subliminal SF. For complete listings and more information, visit subliminalsf.com or check them out on Facebook. See you then. Asiento, this locally owned Mission Neighborhood Bar and Restaurant, is excited to be a sponsor for the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival 2016. We hope you'll join us any night at the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival for happy hour pricing all night long. Just mention that you were an audience member for happy hour pricing March 2nd through 6th at Asiento, 2730 21st Street at Bryant Street, just a half a block away from Mutiny Radio. Asiento has a warm, friendly neighborhood vibe that's perfect for an after-work drink or for a night out, featuring a comfortable bar and extensive tapas menu. This is the perfect place for groups that want to get together for drinks and food without the restaurant commitment. Don't be surprised if you suddenly find yourself at Asiento for the entire night. It feels just like home with bartender service.